Chapter 26 Knights and Squires The chief mate of the Pequod was Starbuck, a native of Nantucket and a Quaker by descent. He was a long, earnest man, and though born on an icy coast, seemed well adapted to endure hot latitudes, his flesh being hard as twice-baked biscuit. Transported to the Indies, his live blood would not spoil like bottled ale. He must have been born in some time of general drought and famine, or upon one of those fast days for which his state is famous. Only some thirty arid summers had he seen. Those summers had dried up all his physical superfluousness. But this, his thinness, so to speak, seemed no more than token of wasting anxieties and cares than it seemed of then it seemed the indication of any bodily blight. It was merely the consideration of the man. He was by no means ill-looking, quite contrary. His pure, tight skin was an excellent fit, and closely wrapped up to it, and embalmed with inner health and strength. Like a rarefied Egyptian, this Starbuck seemed prepared to endure for long ages to come, and to endure always, for be it polar snow or torrid sun. Like a patient chronometer, his interior vitality was warranted to do well within all climates. Looking into his eyes, you seemed to see there was yet lingering images of those thousandfold perils he had calmly confronted through life. A stated, steadfast man, whose life for the most part was a telling pantomime of action, and not a tame chapter of sounds. Yet, for all his hearty sobriety and fortitude, there were certain qualities in him which at times affected, and in some cases seemed well nigh to overbalance all the rest— Uncommonly conscientious for a seaman, and undued with deep natural reverence, the wild watery loneliness of his life did therefore strong incline him to superstition, but to that sort of superstition which in some organizations seemed rather to spring somehow from intelligence than from ignorance. Outward portents and inward presentiments were his, and if at times these things bent the welded iron of his soul, much more did his faraway domestic memories of his young cape wife and child tend to bend him still more from the original ruggedness of his nature, and open him further still to those latent influences which, in some honest-hearted men, restrained the gush of daredevil daring, so evinced by others in the more perilous vicissitudes of the fishery. "'I will have no man in my boat,' said Starbuck, "'who is not afraid of a whale.' By this, he seemed to mean not only that the most reliable and useful courage was that which arises from the fair estimation of the encountered peril, but that an utterly fearless man is far more dangerous, comrade, than a coward. Aye, aye, said Stubb, the second mate. Starbuck there is as careful a man as you'll find anywhere in his fishery. But we shall ere long see what the word careful precisely means when used by a man like Stubb or almost any other whale hunter. Starbuck was no crusader after perils. In him courage was not a sentiment, but a thing simply useful to him, and always at hand upon all mortally practical occasions. Besides, he thought, perhaps, that in this business of whaling, courage was one of the great staple outfits of the ship, like her beef and her bread, and not to be foolishly wasted. Therefore he had no fancy for lowering for whales after sundown, nor for persisting in fighting a fish that too much persisted in fighting him. For, thought Starbuck, I am here in this critical ocean to kill whales for my living, and not to be killed by them for theirs, and that hundreds of men had been so killed Starbuck well knew. What doom was his own father's? Where, in the bottomless deep, could he find the torn limbs of his brother? 
With memories like these in him, and moreover given to certain superstitiousness as he had said, the courage of this Starbuck, which could nevertheless still flourish, must indeed have been extreme. But it was not in reasonable nature that a man so organized with such terrible experiences and remembrances as he had. It was not in nature that these things should fail in latently engendering an element in him, which, under suitable circumstances, would break out from its confinement and burn all his courage up. And brave as he might be, it was that sort of bravery, chiefly visible in some intrepid men, which, while generally abiding firm in the conflict with seas, or winds, or whales, or, or any of the ordinary irrational horrors of the world, it cannot withstand those more terrific, because more spiritual terrors, which sometimes menace you from the concentrating brow of an enraged and mighty man. But were the coming narrative to reveal, in any instance, the complete abasement of poor Starbuck's fortitude, scarce might I have the heart to write it. For it is the thing most sorrowful, nay shocking, to expose the fall of valor in the soul. Men may seem detestable as joint-stock companies and nations, knaves, fools, and murderers there may be. Men may have mean and meager faces, but man, in the ideal, is so noble and so sparkling, such a grand and glowing creature, that over any ignominious blemish in him, all his fellows should run to throw their costliest robes. That immaculate manliness we feel within ourselves, so far within us, that it remains intact, though all the outer character seem gone, bleeds with keenest anguish at the undraped spectacle of a valor-ruined man. Nor can piety itself, at such a shameful sight, completely stifle her unbraidings against the permitting star. But this august dignity I treat of is not the dignity of kings in robes, but that abounding dignity which has no robe investiture. Thou shalt see it shining in the arm and wields of a pick, or drives a spike. The democratic dignity which, on all hands, radiates without end from God himself, the great God absolute, the center and circumference of all democracy, his omnipotence, our divine equality. If then, to meanest mariners and renegades and castaways, I shall hereafter ascribe high qualities, though dark, weave around them tragic graces, if even the most mournful, perchance the most abased among them all, shall at times lift himself to exalt mounts. If I shall touch that workman's arm with some ethereal light, if I shall spread a rainbow over his disastrous set of sun, then against all mortal critics bear me out in it. Thou just spirit of equality, which hast spread one royal mantle of humanity over all my kind, bear me out in it, thou great democratic God, who didst not refuse to swart convict, Bunyan, the pale poetic pearl, thou who didst clothe with doubly hammered leaves of finest gold the stumped and paupered arm of Cervantes, thou who didst pick up Andrew Jackson from the pebbles, who didst hurl him upon a war-horse, who didst thunder him higher than a throne, thou who, in all thy mighty earthly marchings, ever callest thy selectest champion from the kingly commons. Bear me out in it, O God. Thanks for listening to Moby Dick Pod. If you've liked what you've heard so far, consider subscribing or leaving us a rating on Apple Podcast. And as always, thanks for listening.